I really want us to say it's a Wiseau thing now for when someone does that, wrote, directed, and star. Tommy's World. Don't touch <laughs> me, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm tired of this world. I'm, I'm tearing t- me apart, Lisa. <laughs> you you scared you just a little chicken. Cheep, 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 You had me at... Hell no! Welcome to You Had Me at Hell No. I am Allie. And I'm Mel. And this is our podcast where we explore romance movies and try to figure out why we love a genre that uh, hates us so much. And also one that maybe we're not typically as invested in. Oh, definitely Uh, not. Um, um, For two people who really don't care for romance as a genre, A, we've seen a fuck ton of them. And B, uh, neither of us really watch romance to unwind. Allie, what do you like to watch in your spare time? Uh, to really like turn my brain off, I love a good uh, action movie. Although I will say, uh, <laughs> I've had like even limited space for action movies. Like, like movies, I watched today. I watched a lot of Deep Space Nine. Oh no! Um, oh no! Have you seen it? Of course I have. My parents it's- are Trekkies. It's so good, though. It's so good. Um, it is vastly different to, to next gen. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I mean, intentionally so, both aesthetically and also like thematically. But like, it really is funny that next gen is like it's well lit. Everyone looks sexy. Um, we avoid all political conflicts. Really, we're just about loving and respecting each other. Everyone looks good. Riker's gonna fuck any alien he meets. Yo, and then Riker. Mm -hmm. sheesh sheesh and then deep space nine is like there are shadows everywhere we are constantly on the brink of war um everyone is sad and like there's not really like that doesn't sound familiar at all (laughs) i would say it's so accurate today i watched an episode about a fucking virus Everyone initially ignored it and then went to the bar and then got it from the bar. Oh, and I fuck. was like, uh oh. And it also, I can't believe I am okay with Quark. Like, honestly, it's a very good performance by this man. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But I don't I don't care about it. Anyway, what do you like to watch, Melanie? <laughs> <laughs> I um really, really love horror. Um and I've I haven't watched anything new lately. Like it's just oh. I'm in this headspace where like I can't f- stomach the thought of of doing something new. Like yeah. like I just I'm not ready right now. I have a big oh. transition going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm probably but- moving. I'm I'm quitting my job. I'm going to law school, which is terrifying and exciting at the same time. So um, I decided to watch The Shining by myself while I'm, while I'm inside by myself the whole time. And honestly, like halfway through the movie, I just looked at my cat and I was like, you're going to kill me, aren't you? 
I have internalized a lot of the horror that I've consumed over the years because I have what? some really fucked up ideas. What? I'm... what? <laughs> who knew? Who, who would have guessed? That <laughs> I, I, I mean, I... I don't have a witty rapper. I don't have a witty thing for that. I mean, that's okay. I think it. We don't. Maybe we don't need one. Maybe. Maybe I'm. Max, not true. I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're. You're the funny one. We've established this. I'm Ben, and you're Matt. No, I'm kidding. Um, is Ben the funny one? Are you talking about Ben Affleck and Matt Damon? Yeah. They're neither of them are funny. I know. <laughs> I feel like. We're Alana and Allie. Abby? Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Alana, can you tell that I don't watch Broad City except for that one episode you showed me? I'm... What, what did I show you? I'm just a little baby. I don't have any money. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I've always known I'm an Abby. Does that We're mean I'm Abbies. Alana? I don't know what that means. No, I don't think you are either, babe. I don't think... I, I don't think you'd be on the show. <laughs> I <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you'd be, I mean, I, maybe you would because you were New York, but I'm, eh. I think you'd be like, I don't want to hang out with these, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's very possible. <laughs> Whereas I'm someone who'd be like, everyone's like, we're going to go do this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to say no or let anyone down. So I'm going to go. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Alright, today we're going to talk about a film that um, is important. <laughs> it's, it, it is important, but it's well, also... It had it. Uh, it's having... I would say it's kind of having a little renaissance. I really... Well, I think... Um, I wonder if there are Gen Zs who are like, oh, I haven't seen this movie. It's so vintage. It's from 2004. It's from when I was born. Um, And you know what? You should. Because we had that. We were like, oh, man, this movie from when I was born? Crazy. I guess that's true. Also, if you're a millennial and you're complaining about Gen Z, eat shit and calm the fuck down. We're 30. If you have a problem with something a 17-year-old is doing, look at yourself. Also, that's good because you're 30 yeah. and not you're 17. 30. If a 17-year-old doesn't think you're cool and you're like, how dare they? What the fuck is wrong with you? A 17-year-old shouldn't think you're cool because you're 30. Yeah. You shouldn't care. The only thing you should care about in relation to a 17-year-old is am I making the world a better place for this 17-year-old? Am I doing what I can as an adult to make the world safer for this person who is entering adulthood? How about that? How anyway. about that? Cash me aside, how about that? Is she doing okay? I, Probably I, not. I, who knows? <laughs> um, but Open regardless. Open the door. <laughs> Open the door or I will kill you, you stupid I'm a, son of a bitch. I'm going to throw rocks <laughs> through your window. Through your window. <laughs> you dumb whore. <laughs> I love Dr. Phil. I don't. Um, That's fair. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) there's a movie today. We're going to talk about a movie that came out in 2004. Um, I I would say this qualifies as a romance, and we'll get into it. Uh, uh, Melanie, do you want to talk about the movie? Yeah, okay. Uh, I got a history with this movie. Um, The movie we're going to be doing today is Garden State. 
pause, think about it. That's correct. Zachary um, Braffery. Zachary Braffery, star of Scrubs, mm-hmm. <laughs> made his film debut. He was already on Scrubs at this point, I believe. Yeah. This is Zach Braff's uh, blank check pet project film. Um, and it it is an interesting movie. It's definitely um, in the indie independent scene. And it's one of the ones that had a lot of big names before they really became big, big, big names. Like, we've got Zach Braff, for example. We have Natalie Portman. Um, we've got Peter Sarsgaard, who I was really into. Um, Jean Smart is in it. She was already famous, but she's in it. Yeah, she's got a cameo. Although Jean Smart is one. She has a show on HBO right now that I want to see. But yeah, me too. One where every couple of years people are like, Jean Smart. Did you guys know Jean Smart is one of the best actresses we have? And it's like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we, do we know knew. that. We've known forever. We've known that the whole time, bitch. Yeah. Designing women. Hello. Yeah. And also, um, um, a role that confuses me still to this day, Ian Holm, the late Sir Ian Holm, plays Beautiful. Zach Braff's dad. So mm-hmm. um, let's just get into it because we have a lot to say about this movie, or at least I do. Yeah. This is Zach Braff's. This is Zach Braff. He wrote, directed, and starred in this. This was a script he like worked on and off on for like I think several years. Like he would write, work on it, and then come back, leave it, and then come back to it, and whatever. And uh, whatever he did, what I just said, and uh, I had clearly a, some amount of ability or connections to like get producers to make this film with him and it had an effect on a lot of people it did well it made money and people talked about it and it, it did and this film uh, really this film really had an effect on me and i didn't realize it until i watched it with you the other day yeah i didn't know that i saw it once uh we i rented it and i watched it with my mom and my mom did not like it um, that makes I sense. Didn't I? I was like unsure about how I felt about it. So the the basic plot of the film is that Zachary Braffrey plays a young man who's like in his late twenties, so essentially like our age, who is named Andrew Longman, and Largeman. He, Largeman, Longman, Largeman. Largeman. You're right. It's Largeman. I should know that. Regardless, it's it's a stupid name. And he lives in L.A. And we meet him at the beginning of the film. He's basically a struggling actor. And his life is really numb and bland, and he's been pretty much medicated on antidepressants and antipsychotics for a really long time. His father calls him. They have kind of a fraught relationship. Finds out that his mother passed away, and he has to go back home to New Jersey, which is the Garden State, for those who didn't know. He goes home for the funeral, reconnects with some of his old friends, and meets a young woman named Sam, played by Natalie Portman, um, and they fall in love, and the rest of the film is about him falling in love, coming to terms with his relationship with his parents, reconciling some old feelings about his mom and his dad, and moving forward from that, and also, you know, learning more about himself. He stops taking his meds and starts like feeling for the first time in a long time which you know you should probably talk to your psychiatrist before you go off any kind of meds but the the thing in the film is that his father is a psychiatrist and his father put the meds on him which is a huge conflict of interest and any medical doctor should know better but 
the the reason that this film is famous in my opinion is for a couple reasons number one it's super indian weird number two that weird it's just very indian it's very i will say it captured the like way a lot of films or were both being made at that time and then how a lot of indie films were made after. It's like um, he was like, oh, I saw Wes Anderson make a movie. I could do that too. And then made his own movie. Um, a lot of people did that. And like kind of, yeah. And I think another reason is also because of the soundtrack, um, which we'll get into. <laughs> and the third reason, which I think is the most infamous reason, is that Natalie Portman's character is a manic pixie dream girl. And this is not the first example of a manic pixie dream girl, but I think it is one of the most famous, if not the most famous. Well, it's the review. Uh, a review of this movie is where that term was coined. Really? I thought it was... Yeah. I did some research on it, and Nathan Robin... Um, who was a writer for the AV Club at the time, did a review. I was under the impression he did it when he was reviewing Elizabethtown, which is another movie we should do on this podcast. Um, It's a young, depressed Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst. How could you go wrong? Um, But but the Manic uh, Pixie Dream Girl is so interesting, and we kind of brought it up when we did Scott Pilgrim vs. The World because of Ramona Flowers. Because she kind of is, but she also kind of isn't. And the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is sort of like, uh, she's someone who's very quirky, but she's, whatever kind of quirkiness or whatever she has is, uh, whatever interesting something she has is not for any real character development for herself or any interest in, like, moving her story forward or anything in service of that character. It's all in service of the main male lead character. Mm -hmm. And I... They're what? they're really they're girly. They're the romantic interest for. But they're also cool. They're also right, cool. They're, they're cool not so girly and, that it's and they're, bad. Right. They're not so girly that they're high maintenance. They're like cool girls. Um, they're really quirky. They're often they often have something about their character that's like wild and free, or emotionally available in a way that the male protagonist is often not. I think this this film is a really good mm-hmm. example of that. Yeah. Um, And so I actually think, and some critiques that I've read in my research has actually compared it to this, is that um, Manic Pixie Dream Girl is similar to the trope of the magical Negro, which is one we talked about in the Sex and the City movie, where both Mm -hmm. these characters don't really have a personality. They don't really have goals. They don't really do anything. They only exist as a vehicle through which the protagonist can grow. Yeah, it's, um, the white person needs to learn a lesson, and and I I think, weirdly, both of these tropes were created by white people with the intention of paying some kind of homage. Like, what's wild is I think it was created intentional, and this does not mean they got it correctly, but what it is, I think, is a wanting to go in the opposite direction of things they may have seen before and like we don't want to set them up we don't want to make this woman have these negative character stereotypes we don't want to make we don't want to make this black man a criminal so we're going to say or imply that they're magical and they're incredible and they they're actually the smartest person and the wisest person and the best person in the whole movie but what that does is deprive that person or that 
type of person from actually being humanized. I and agree. It's, I would it's also less say flattering and less of an homage. It's yeah. more just like it's more. Oh, it, it, <laughs> it's more second, reductive. I would argue. Yes. The second I I heard, I believe, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but there's someone on TikTok called at uh, Deja Talks TV. She's genius. Uh, but she said the second someone calls you a hero is that they expect you to die. And we do this to people in general. But the second you call someone a hero, it means we don't have to respect you. I said, I called you a hero. I called you this person, which means I don't have to acknowledge your humanity. And I don't have to feel bad when you, like, we're willing to sacrifice you, essentially. Interesting. And that's I would an element it's of very these types of it's characters. It's white savior complex adjacent, if not yes. directly related. Yeah, it's, I'm going to be the hero and then I'm writing this person in my movie but I'm not going to actually like hire someone from this group or acknowledge that maybe this isn't an experience that I've lived and therefore I don't know what I'm writing about and I don't have an interest in actually learning or exploring that um, but yeah um, this character oof, I yeah Sam's character is is really interesting and problematic in a lot of ways and <clears throat> it's it's i think i told you this when we watched it it's the sylvester sloan school of acting and what i mean by that is and i say this all the time i i attended a film conference uh, back in the day when i was into academia and i attended this panel on sylvester stallone and arnold schwarzenegger which was fascinating but the key oh point that i took away is that the Sylvester Stallone School of Directing and Acting basically says, he maintains, and he said this, is that men can only emote when there is a woman present to allow them to emote. Men cannot emote with each other, which is... That is a bummer. I mean, it's the epitome of toxic masculinity. Oh, if, yeah. Listen, if you don't want to express your emotions, you don't have to, but uh, a woman being present isn't permission for you to use her for your benefit. Yeah, it's not your your girlfriend's not your mommy. Um, oh boy, but yeah, yeah. So um, an interesting thing in this movie is that as Zach Braff, as Andrew or Large as they call him, as he stops taking his meds and starts feeling more and getting more in touch with his feelings and dealing with some things that he wasn't dealing with, um, he does go on his way to being somewhat of a more complete person and i would even argue at the end if we can if we can skip to the end when he's leaving his whole spiel that he gives to her is that you know i have to go fix my shit i gotta go take care of myself i want to you know get an actual psychiatrist i want to work through some of these feelings i want to be better for myself and yeah. i care about you but i have to do this for myself and i was actually at watching this you know, with 30 rounding the corner, I was actually kind of disappointed that he didn't go. Yeah, I I had a little similar feeling. I was like, he's actually doing the right thing because what really struck me is uh, I've seen this relationship before in movies, but also in real life because um, it's um, sad man and his uh mid to late 20s no one's gonna understand me i'm so i'm too sad and then he is finally seen understood recognized 
feels loved by this woman in her early 20s who has arguably had the same amount, if not more, trauma, who is optimistic and happy and sees the best in everybody. And um, that's something we've seen in a lot of movies, but also in real life. That's Go to any fucking rock show. You'll see 400 of these unfortunate couples. Yeah. Go to any acting place. Hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so you're, you're right. But I would also yeah. argue, too, like just thinking about it, I, I would say that she does challenge him throughout the film. I think she challenges him to really look inward in a way that he wasn't challenging himself because, you know, he, he comes home from the funeral. Every, he's he's Jewish. He has this big Jewish family. Also, why they got Ian Holm to play a Jewish psychiatrist from New Jersey, I will never know. But um, I think it was like, we got Ian Holm. I no, first of all, Ian he's Holm. an incredible actor. Like but honestly, what? he's an incredible actor. The worst accent I've ever heard him do is the one that he did in this movie. I, I don't know. There was it wasn't terrible. It was more. I was more just like, uh, I think because it's sort of a. Um, it just seemed odd because I feel like we all know what someone from New Jersey sounds like, and I feel like a lot of us could imagine or have an idea of what we think a psychiatrist, a wealthy Jewish psychiatrist from New Jersey, would sound like, and it, that wasn't what Ian Holm sounded like. Yeah, I mean. Some accents are stronger than others, but, like, I could just tell that I could – it's weird. I can't put quite put my finger on it, but because I'm from there, I could just tell. Um, yeah. And so Large comes home. He goes to the funeral. He ends up seeing that one of his old friends, played by Peter Sarsgaard, who I was super-duper into because he's, like, brooding and kind of a dick, Ooh. if that tells you about what I was into when I was a teenager. Um, he works at the cemetery, and he – maintains the graves he buries people um he's an undertaker essentially and uh he's got this zach braff's got this big jewish family he's you know at the shiva at the house afterwards um his aunt i think it was his aunt anyway um Mm -hmm. made him this shirt because she redid the bathroom with his mom and we get that famous shot where his shirt is the same as the wallpaper Mm -hmm. and we find out that his mom this is really sad. His mother passed away because she was paraplegic and she drowned in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of uh, I would. It's kind of intimated that it wasn't an accident and that she yeah. may have done it on purpose because she suffered from depression. Yeah, which is extremely morbid and it's just kind of mm-hmm. glossed over, um, at least at the beginning of the film. And, you know, he ends up telling his dad, like, hey, I keep getting these crazy headaches. His dad's like, oh, go see a neurologist. I'll hook you up. There's one in my building. And when he's in the waiting room for the neurologist, that's where he meets Sam, played by Natalie Portman. And also, like, also, through the neurologist, we learned that he has recently stopped taking all of this medication. And And it was, like, pretty heavy. It was several antidepressants, but more specifically it was like he was on lithium in some form uh, from the time he was like 10 years old and now mm-hmm. he's slowly coming off of it well not even slowly it's he just stopped you know, he just stopped, he just taking stopped. It, which can really I, dangerous oh d- incredibly dangerous and also um something i pointed out to melanie and i understand maybe this is like part of the like 
whole point of the movie, but I was like, this movie is a lot of symmetrical shots of Zach Braff looking around like, oh, people are being weird. Like, and it's either him looking directly at the camera or just off to the side at someone being real weird. It's just Zach Braff observing, which I understand <sighs> is kind of the movie, and that's part of it. And um, But it also, it, it, at a certain point, you're like, my dude, what is this? What is, what are we doing here? I think I'm, I, a lot of movies were made like that, and there are times when I do like that. I just think there was part of me that was like, I don't, I don't, um, I'm, I, hold on, I'm gonna start the sentence over well, again. I, I actually think I kind of, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I agree because I think, I think this film is not as stylized as it could be. It was kind of in the middle. Oh, like it, it, it didn't, it didn't go 100% into how stylized it was. Like, I would argue, like, oh. like a Kubrick or a Del Toro kind of stylized, you know, every shot is going to be a certain way. Even Hitchcock, I would argue. And I felt like this was kind of in the middle. Oh, I felt, I, th- I mean, I thought it was shot well. Actually, I thought it was shot well. I kept being like, oh, yeah, oh, it was well done. Budget. It just I, wasn't, I it wasn't as stylized as I think it could have been for all those shots to, like, not be kind of dumb. Um, I think it was more just like oh, we're seeing a lot of I, uh, um, I think maybe you're kind of right. I think it is a little bit in the middle of like, because it's not quite Wes Anderson where it's so quirky. You're like, oh, geez, okay, I guess this is where we are. This is a very specific tone, and here we are. And it wasn't quite there because there was plenty of mo- plenty of moments where it was like, I think this is a little more. I don't know, trying to be a little more gritty or like realistic um and as someone who has been around a bunch of people after losing someone there were elements of this movie where i kind of related but there was also stuff where i i I didn't relate and Mm -hmm. that was more i I think i just didn't like seeing (sighs) this I, i think i just i think I'm just very glad that Natalie Portman is not forced, like she wasn't trapped in the role of, I am here to be interesting so that the main character can fall in love with me. Yeah. I think she did a good job of breaking through that mold. She's amazing! First of all, Natalie Portman has been working since she was a child, um... And she's been in some pretty intense films before this. Like, she was in Leon the Professional when she was 12. Um, But I think that this this film in particular really put her on the map in terms of someone who's, like, moving out of her child actor role, moving past Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And um, I think her performance was really good. Oh, she's great. And I think what bothered you about the character of Sam, too, and you mentioned this a bunch of times, is that she's she's infantilized. Yes. She, um, because we come to find that she has epilepsy, so she, um, and also she's like 21, so it does kind of make sense that she would live with her mother still, but the way she behaves from the way she dresses to the way she speaks it's like a child. It's it's like a it's like someone. It's almost like she's in her early teens as opposed to someone who's twenty one. Yeah, she's, she and she's really very fast. She talks like one of the first things she does, which I couldn't figure out why Zach Braff was going into her home after giving her a ride home. Yeah. I don't know why he had to be in the house. Um, but she's like, this is what's the name of it? Tetembe. Like, 
No, the the blanket. Oh, Tickle. Yeah, this is Tickle, who is a smaller, who is all that's left of such and such, or like Nani or whatever, which was my blanket. And like, why is she? It's it's like she shows her baby blanket to this man in her that she just met. Yeah, and um, that that was weird and and she has all these pets and she has a shirt that i wore in eighth grade yeah, and, and like ev- even her hair like she you said it she talks fast she also affects a little bit of a lisp she yeah. it's really giggly um she they try to pull this like l- this angle that she's a compulsive liar uh which to me i don't think panned out very well um but they also she only wears like flare jeans and like uh well that was also the style a hoodie yeah it was the style in 2004 but also like she doesn't she doesn't dress very feminine she's not feminized in a way that like an ingenue or a love interest would normally be feminized and in some ways it's like oh that's cool but uh, but i think what's frustrating is it's like you said something i was saying was like but instead, she's kind of infantilized. And, like, there's a part later in the movie where um, Sarsgaard's taking Bargeman and, and um, Sam all over for some special gift or special thing. And Zach Braff is like, you're this young, innocent girl. And she's like, I'm not innocent. And he goes, yes, you are. That's why I like you. And that, um, I think, was supposed to be charming, but it really... Um, gave me the creeps i think we had um, different reactions because i remember you being put off by it and yeah. for me i don't necessarily think in i don't think innocence is a bad thing necessarily no. but i do think that this is dangerously skirting a line of childlike innocence yeah and, and that's, like lolita that's territory where i'm like no thank you it's what if my girlfriend was legal but she was just like a child and just like a teen Ugh. and that's it's bordering on that. Um, also, oh, I, there was a scene that I forgot, but we'll get to it anyway. Um, was it the one with Method Man? No. Because why like was that, that even scene. in there? Why was that in the movie? I didn't like that movie. No shade to Method Man. Just like they, he's he's like a bellhop at a hotel. I but, love Method Man. But the way that Method they Man find him job. is that they're like in this gross secret corridor where you can peep in on people in their hotel rooms having sex, which is yeah. incredibly disturbing yeah. and uncomfortable. And I just don't understand why it was in the film. I really don't think it added anything. I don't, because, like, we already knew the idea is supposed to be, like, oh, Peter Sarsgaard is taking them on this journey where they go to increasingly weirder and creepier places because Peter Sarsgaard is creepy and sinister and bad or, you know, untoward. He's the Johnny Boy of this movie if we're talking Mean Streets. Also, I hate myself for making that reference, too, but what are you going to do? And, but I feel like we already knew that and it just felt kind of like a, it was just felt kind of gross it felt like a weird excuse to get boobs into a movie it was like was this Zach Braff's idea yeah and also and, like and it uh, it do, it didn't need the titties they didn't need to be there no like we don't need them we don't need another titty um we don't need another titty there you go man thank but you but it was um, it it was I, I, I just don't really know how I feel about it, but the scene we're talking about, the sequence, is when um, 
Because we find there's a scene where Zach Braff sees Peter Sarsgaard stealing jewelry off of a corpse that's about mm-hmm. to be buried. Yeah. Which really upset me. I, mm. I listen, I don't really know what happens after we die. I'm not going to pretend to have answers. But I will say, as, as an expert in archaeology, which I am, mm-hmm. and having studied funerary culture, the significance of what we give the dead is partially for them, but it's also for us. And the idea of somebody stealing something that is important to me or my loved one that was supposed to be with them, even though their body is probably just a shell without a soul that's going to be eaten by gross shit, it's mm-hmm. like the idea of someone doing that is very violating and it's oh, yeah. and it's glossed over in the film and it's partially because I think the lens we're viewing it through is this really numbed lens that Zachary Braffery has until he honestly it's pretty much until he and Sam have sex and then Peter Sarsgaard takes him on this adventure and the point of the adventure is that he's finding a piece of jewelry that was stolen off of Zach Braff's dead mother and he got it back for him because he felt bad that he got caught. Yes. And um, yeah, that was really oof. Really messed up. No, they find they, Melanie, they don't have sex before they have sex after because it's after he has the necklace he, that's when they're in the tub where his mom died. Oh, that's right. And he's talking about his mom and he starts, she's like, wait, I think I see a tear because the whole idea is that he hasn't cried and he didn't cry at his mom's funeral. And she grabs like a little cup, a paper cup to like capture the tear. Yes, I do recall. And then, and then they have sex. Um, what a, gr- oh my God, you cried? Let's bone! What a wild time. Um, I... Also, because I remember that as a kid being like, why is he touching her butt? Which is so weird, because now I'm like, of course, like, if you have, if we had sex, you could touch my butt. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. In, like, an intimate, like, huggy moment, I mean. Like, not just, in ge- not, like, in whenever, but if we're ha- having an intimate relationship, and we've established that you can touch my you can touch my butt, <laughs> you can touch my butt. We're I'm learning a lot about you today. Sorry. <laughs> I just mean, like, if we're spooning, <laughs> it's okay. What I just, I was so scandalized by that at 13, and now I'm 30, and I'm like, doy, it's a toy. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but um, he, a- after having this, he's, it's, he's due to go back home, and they're crying a lot, and, and he, that's when he's like, oh, I gotta go work on myself, and it's gonna be okay, and she's and crying the a lot. The line that he uses makes me, s- it made me mad when I was 14, and it makes me mad now. It's, um, don't think of this as a period, think of it as dot dot dot, an ellipsis. And then he goes, what? she's sobbing in a phone booth, and then he comes yeah. back. She goes, what about the ellipsis? And he goes, it's stupid. It's the worst idea I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And then they make out, and that's the end of the movie. So let go. Da, 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 da. That's the end of the movie. Um, It's... Oh, oh can we talk briefly? And this we can cut this out, but this is just something I want to briefly touch on. Was this scene but where... Um, the, he wakes up at um, Sarsgaard's house, and Gene <gasps> yes. Smart is his mom, and Jim Parsons is 
there in his night costume because he had yes, used him in night yes. at the times where the mama and, and here's and I'm, I've been trying to figure out I think this may have been uh, kind of intentional because if her son is a Peter Sarsgaard type then maybe she would be having a sexual relationship with a Jim Parsons type someone who is the opposite of that but the way the way that she talks the way that she and Jim Parsons talk is more like a mother and son than the way she and Peter Sarsgaard talk. And in some ways, I think that's the, I, I think that's probably the point, um, is that a lot of that jealousy comes from, like, she's talking about how proud she is of him and bragging about him and fawning over Jim Parsons in a way that she is not over um, Sar- Peter Sarsgaard, Sarsgaard because she just talks about how Peter Sarsgaard isn't doing anything with his life and he's not, he's, a disappointment and um but she's also having sex with jim parsons but the scene right after that where they're all sitting on the couch where it's um uh sarsgaard braff and jane smart like they behave as if they are married as if they are having a sexual relationship like i wouldn't be surprised if there's some play that they did where they were in a sexual relationship which guess what i would probably see i would watch Um, that I listen. Even I Peter, Peter Sarsgaard is like he's he's broody, but he's also pretty, and he's also a good actor. I think. Like, uh, okay, let me put it to you this way: um, the film Shattered Glass. I watched it not because of Hayden Christensen, but because of Peter Sarsgaard. Wow, I. It's hard for me because I I do think Peter Sarsgaard is like a great actor, but. Um, Particularly in this film, he reminds me a lot a of a very. Uh, but it, he reminds me a lot of a uh, specific, another actor that I know personally, who um, has a similar quality of uh, kind of creepiness, a sort of aloofness. A who John Malkovich? Me. No, um, uh, uh, someone local. Oh. Uh, Oh, I was going to be like, wait, are you talking about the man in the iron mask? Did we? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Although he was hired to play Malkovich's son because they both have that weird theater accent. Yeah, they have like a, a weird non-accent, whispery It's like an voice. elocution thing. And that no one else really talks like that, but, but yeah. they except for those two, and I'm happy they found it's each other. It's a very strange affect. Um, but yeah, but he really kind of uh, gave me the gave me the real creeps. I mean, uh, he's a he's he a scumbag, and he's like really watching this as an adult, I really like notice. And I think also like at the pl- I I don't know how you feel about this, but at least for <sighs> me, like watching this when I was a, a young teen versus watching this now after having lost someone close to me having been through issues with my parents and having been in relationships that have made me want to be a better person and a better version of me I really related a lot more to this film but I also saw like how much it really affected me and like planted that seed in my brain at such a young age but I get there were some there were elements to this movie that I did um, relate to in the sense that I've been very depressed before and it can feel kind of like you're just sort of very casually observing it, it feels like you're observing your own life rather than participating in it 
and I, I do understand that element, but it also was something where I'm like, oh, I don't really connect to this. I don't, um, I don't know that this movie was necessarily made for me, and it was fine, mm. and it's okay. The soundtrack is fun. It's very of its time. Um, oh, yeah, this, mo- this movie is Zach Braff saying to the world, uh, hey, do you guys, did you know that I listened to The Shins? Listen, no shade on the shins. They're a great band. Oh, no. But All just the like are cute they, and catchy they, and good. They fully blew up after this movie uh, for obvious reasons. But it's yeah. it's just Zach Braff being like, I listen to indie music and I'm like really cool. It's Zach Braff being 28 years old, which is how old he was. It yeah. makes sense that yeah. he was like, it's here's the thing. It's an oak. It's a DS movie made by a a sad um 20 year old a sad man with, with obsessive compulsive disorder oh i don't know but it, but we found out via wikipedia that he apparently has obsessive compulsive it's on the internet disorder. so it must be true it must be true and also good for him for um that's not an easy there's so much stigma around um ocd there and also is, there's and it's hard to work through. So honestly, yeah, good job to Zach Braff for doing and, that. Yeah, and also, I'm. Uh, you know what else is dumb, and we don't. we we never need to hear it again. Oh, I totally am OCD about this. No, you're not. Yeah, Shut the you're fuck really up. not. Shut the fuck up. You're. Uh, you Sorry. could be anal retentive. You could be particular, but you're not yeah. OCD. No. Shut the fuck up, because um, uh, yeah. Also, I'm kind of. Oh my god, I'm totally ADHD. Like no, no, shut the fuck up. Well, that's maybe I'm that's being, so that's random. Like, that's no random. No, that's not. What no, it's the, not random. It's not random, babe. It's yeah. randomness. Your your little pea brain couldn't possibly understand what randomness is. What is this character? <laughs> I, I veered. I veered a little bit into the trash man. You the trash man. Like <laughs> Speaking of trash man, you know who helped produce this movie? Danny DeVito. King. Danny oh, DeVito. The one that we need. Oh, oh, so good. God, uh, a king. Perfect. Um, um let's also um, veer into another thing that kind of bothered me about this movie. Um, more things, I think, more things bother me than don't bother me, but I still like this movie, but... And I get that, and that's, that's part of it. Here's the thing. This is something I want to say about, sorry, I want to get to what you're saying, Melanie, but something I do want to say about this podcast is it's not all, like, even though it sounds like we're like, yeah, we don't, we're not like other girls. We don't like, we do kind of like these movies. We like movies. You can love a movie and have problems with it. A great example, West Side yeah. Story, or even Gone with the Wind. Gone with the yeah. Wind is super racist. Is it a great movie? Absolutely. I've never seen it. I'm n- I'm okay if I don't see it. It's a um, classic, but I, I'm not it's gonna make. Super I'm not gonna feel racist. bad. I, I, yeah, I don't feel bad that that bitch lost her plantation. Oh, who boo who bitch? Cry over your curtains, hoe. I don't care. Um, sorry, but like also like my favorite movie is Point Break, but also fuck the police. Anyway, um, say what you were going to say about this movie, Melanie. (laughs) Okay. Um, I wanted to draw attention because honestly, I feel like we've been uncovering a lot of 
anti-Semitism in these films. And I don't yeah. know if that's I don't know if that's just the lens that we're viewing through right now, because as a Jew, I will say it is increasingly less safe to be a Jew in the world, no matter mm-hmm. where. Um, and so maybe maybe I'm just noticing these things more because more is going on around me. But I will say that there were some some parts of this film that I was really confused about about how Zach Braff portrayed his character's Judaism and how others reacted to his Judaism. And, you know, obviously, like, Jewish identity is a really complicated thing. Um, and I know that sounds like, yeah, doy, but, like, it is, and there's a lot of factors to it, especially, you know, with the current climate and current events. There's a lot that goes into Jewish identity, and there's a lot of Jews who aren't religious, and that's okay. That's part of it. Um, part of being Jewish is that we're supposed to question things around us and learn and be active and engaged in the world. And so, like, if you're questioning your identity, fine. Great. That's what you're supposed to do. However, I will say that in the scene where Zachary Braffery is at Natalie Portman's house and they're burying her dead hamster, Jelly, um, he's talking to her about... Yom Kippur and first of all like if you're living in New Jersey you fucking know what Yom Kippur is but also Mm -hmm. it's the Jewish Day of Atonement and it's a really important holiday and the tone with which he spoke about it was really disparaging he's saying oh well it's the Jewish Day first of all he says it's the Day of Repentance it's not it's the Day of Atonement those are two different things Um, that it's a Day of Repentance and that once a year, Jews who never go to synagogue ever go to synagogue and they have removable parts of the wall just to accommodate them. And Natalie Portman goes like, wow, you're like really Jewish. You're like really Jewish. And he's like, no, not really. Which is strange to me because like you don't, I mean, I don't think I've heard very many critiques of churches doing that. And no, everyone knows. But also, we all know that that's how churches work. Yeah, and like, also, I mean, call me crazy, but I see that as an efficient use of space. And guess what? If you don't want to go to synagogue every week, you don't fucking have to. And if if you're, if the way that you do your religion as a Jew is that the most important holiday is the one that you attend because you think it's important, do it. Like, really, who cares? Because the people who want to show up at synagogue are going to show up. And the people who don't want to show up won't. And I really don't think that's a problem. And I just didn't, I didn't appreciate the disparaging tone. And I didn't appreciate the insinuation that it's a bad thing. Especially when he, right after that, is like, oh, I'm not religious and I never go. Yeah, it was, um, and like, I don't i i can't really speak to the i can't re- can't like i was about to say can't really i can't speak to this because i'm not jewish um but it is odd like here's the thing am, I, I don't think it would be odd for a person i i don't think it, it's not it's not like inconceivable that there would be a girl uh who would be like oh wow like shocked by someone being jewish like wow you're really jewish um it does seem odd that in like New Jersey like the area of New Jersey where they appear to be that she's like never heard of any of these things it also and I guess this is more just I recognize it's a character but it did seem odd to me the part where he's explaining Israel to 
Specifically, he's explaining the Wailing Wall to Natalie Portman. Yeah, who is Israeli. Yeah, I was like, okay, what? (laughs) And also, like, let me just say, as a Jew and an archaeologist, he explains the Wailing Wall wrong. <laughs> like that's the thesis of this podcast as <laughs> as a Jewish archaeologist as he's, wrong. Ju- you're wrong. he's wrong you're wrong you're wrong that is, that is oh i love that that made me that made me feel good to hear you say and i don't know what just something it was everything that was said in the ways i was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't normally get spicy it. and like st- and like rigid. Like I'm pretty chill and I'm willing to learn about a lot of stuff, but at least for the stuff that I know a lot about, I'm right and you're wrong, bitch. <laughs> Zachary Bravery, come at me. I you want to really fucking that- f- you want to fight me, JD? You little piss boy, tiny dick, <laughs> bad doctor JD? Fuck you. You were not nice to Elliot or any of your hot girlfriends. Um, That's I true. Think, um, uh, and no, that, yeah, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> thank you for coming to the TED Talk. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this accent. Um, this, like, New York, like, tough, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're from, yeah. we're in New York. Hey, I got a Andy gun. D- I got Andy. a gun. Let's go to a Broadway <laughs> show. <laughs> um, okay. Melanie, I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, was this movie uh, romantic? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know that it, here's the thing, I don't think that was the ultimate goal of the movie. Here's the thing, I believe that these people like each other. I believe that this relationship would happen. I believe in this couple because I've seen this couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I said, like this is a common thing of sad man in his mid to late 20s. Sad maybe. man finds happy girl in the hopes that he won't have to go to therapy. Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, wait, who who will tolerate this behavior? An incredibly optimistic 21-year-old. Yeah, you know it, what no, I mean? I'll, ad- I'll add to that. An incredibly optimistic 21-year-old who sees the best in people. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, so it's, I don't know, like, uh, there are elements, uh, I will say, I'm going to admit this, and this is more to s- say about me, but the end of the movie where they're kissing, I went, I'm lonely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't always feel that way, but I think it was just like, these people seem to like each other. <laughs> I'm happy for them. Yeah, I would um, agree. Um, Allie, I have a question for Mark. you. Because now we've asked, is it romantic? Is it sexy? No. I No, I didn't. No. No, thank you. Yeah, um, I, I did not find this film I don't to know be that it was supposed sexual to be. at all. In fact, it was no. the opposite of sexual for me. I I'm Whatever like, the opposite of sexual is, that's what it was. Um, I, like, uh, these people are cute. Like, I, I, the movie started, and I was like, Zach Braff is cute. Zach Braff's, like, a cute dude. And, um, uh... I also realized I hadn't. I must have been a long time since I watched Scrubs, which honestly is a good. It it's a it's a good show. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I remember I turned to you. It was like f- we were five minutes in the movie, and I went, I forgot what his voice sounded like. I I truly yeah. forgot the way he spoke, <laughs> which is wild because all of Scrubs is just his voice. But also, he hasn't done that much in the public eye since scrubs 
he's well he's done a lot of different things and more small like he's working he's um, in the indie scene but like the more the most popular thing that he's done that i can think of recently is um fake doctors real friends oh his podcast. Oh, the podcast. Yeah, and I think he's doing well with that. And also, here's the thing. I think he kind of got in some shit post-Scrubs because around the beginning of Kickstarter, he started one to get a movie made, and people were like, Ex- fucking, excuse me, bitch? Um, because he is intelligent in movies, and he arguably has more resources than um, other people and a lot of people felt like it was shady of him to be like give me money other people and hmm. I don't know now I'm an, and I don't remember the whole story just remember, I remember people were being like excuse, excuse me TV money uh, you're going to ask me for money and now I'm like people do that all the time now I don't yeah. know how much well um, I don't know I feel like, uh, like I feel like, like for I, Super Troopers 2 it made sense because the guys from Broken Lizard are not famous at all and they needed the Kickstarter money because no studio was gonna make Super Troopers 2 like so I kind of get where Zach Braff is because I'm sure Zach Braff is trying to make something without studio interference I don't remember the full thing but I just remember at the time a lot of people were like Fuck you. I recall and, that. but yeah. And I think also the more as I've learned more about the film industry, just from like doing this podcast and listening to a lot of more podcasts about movies, especially how did this get made? It's um, like the amount of input that studios have to me is it's insane creatively. But from a business standpoint, to me, it makes perfect sense. Because if I'm bankrolling your movie, you're going to do what the fuck I tell you to do. But it's also really, I think a great, there's a great book called Writing Movies for Fun and Profit, but Fun and is crossed out. It's written by Thomas Lennon and Robert Ben Garant. It is so good. Even if you're not looking to write for the studio system, it's a great read. It's so, you learn a lot and it's also fascinating to learn about how the studio system works because it is wild like the fact that any movie gets made and comes out even a little okay is a miracle and i think that's really um impressive anyway it's a that's a good book um yeah you lent it to me and it is still on my shelf i have not read it yet i apologize okay girl um Uh, but now that now that we've talked about the ins and outs of an industry that neither of us are a part of um, yep. let's ask the fundamental question here. Okay. Here we Fuck, go. marry, kill. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. I'm here. All right. Zach Braff. Okay. Peter Sarsgaard. Method Man. Um, Peter Sarsgaard, specifically in this movie, reminds me of uh, someone uh, very not okay from my past. So we're going to kill him. All right. Um, I'm going to... I, we're talking about in this movie? Yeah, as their characters. Who do I want to spend more time around? I don't love that Method Man was selling access to other people's private lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think he's very handsome. So I will make love with Method Man. Okay. I mean, I'd rather spend time with Method Man, with Method Man, like Method Man himself. I'd rather spend time with Method Man, but in this movie, I don't want to give too much time to someone who would do that. 
Um, and I, I guess I'm, God, I guess I'm marrying Zach Braff. Okay. Oh, oh boy. I don't. Uh, yeah, this is a lose lose. In this movie, he's so. He he doesn't seem very effusive. And I think I'm at a point in my life when I, I need someone who's going to be clear and tell me that they like me and not have it be um, right as they're about to get on a fucking plane. How about that? Huh. Um, how, what, what about you, Melanie? I'm, I'm actually really torn um, because I'm, I'm thinking about, like, Large and, or, and um, Mike, I think is his name, Peter Sarsgaard. And honestly, Mark? like, was it Mark? Yeah, Mark, Mike, an M I'm name. I'm looking it up right now. It's an M, M name that ends with a K E. I'm looking it up. All right, looking it up. Looking it up. Look it's Mark. Okay, Mark. So, I'm conflicted, and here's why: because I have, I have been the Natalie Portman in relationships like that before, and I have. We all have. Yeah, and it's, like, it cuts a little close to home for me, because, like, I'm uh, not your therapist, and I'm not your mom, I'm your girlfriend. Um, mm -hmm. So I think if we're thinking purely in terms of Andrew Largeman, I think I'm going to kill him. <gasps> I think I'm going to fuck Method Man, and I think I'm going to marry Mark, because... I think a guy like that, like, to actually make a commitment would mean that he would really, really like me and care about me. So I would, I would marry Mark. I am, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's not an ideal set of choices. <laughs> it really is not. Um, I, yeah, but, you know. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada boom. That's that's showbiz, baby. <laughs> what was what was? Oh God. Giuseppe Stromboli and the Gabagool of Fire. What? Oh, Jesus. That's Moneyball. I saw Moneyball recently, and um, I think I it was the right um way to watch Moneyball for me, which is very drunk with um two very good friends. Good. Um, and I kept loudly whispering i love brad pitt <laughs> wow okay i just think he's great i think he's we don't have movie stars in the same way we, we don't really have movie stars we in the same way that we did because the way we consume media in general but specifically movies and the way we make movies and cast movies is very different and has changed um a lot even in the past i want to say like 10 years and uh so we don't really, but it's like this motherfucker is a movie star, um, like it, and, and I feel like every time he's in a movie, and I feel like less so now, particularly since he won an Academy Award, but every single time he's in a movie, and everyone's like, "Can you believe how good Brad Pitt is in this movie?" Like they're shocked that he's a good actor. I do forget that he's like a good that. actor, but he's in. He's great. He's so fucking good, but because he looks like someone saw Robert Redford and was like, yeah, let's do that kind of again. Um, he does. Yeah. And they both have a charisma. 
Um, they do have a charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. They have, they have, they do. They have real charisma because it's not just that they look good. Also, to be truly attractive, you have to be kind of weird looking. Like if you look at some of the most quote unquote conventionally attractive people, like the people we consider really out, there is some kind of odd about them. Um, like Brad Pitt, even if you really look at his face, it's kind of wild, but it works. It's nice. That's how I um, feel about Vinny from Jersey Shore. I'm. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I want everyone to know that I am on the floor of my apartment. Vinny, if you're listening, I love you. Listeners. I know that you're with someone, but I if you ever want if you if you ever want to go out I I cook I cook good. I'll make you food. I love you, Vinny. I'll I'll make you food. I I would do that for you. But anyway, uh, that was Garden State, and listen, we had some hot takes and we had some cool takes. Cool takes. Um, and you're welcome for that terrible joke. But yeah. um, if you enjoyed what you heard, and we sincerely hope you did, I think this is one of our more serious, more serious episodes. Yes. Super serious. But, um, uh, you know, we do post on our Instagram at Hell No Cast. You can also find us on Twitter at the same handle at Hell No Cast. Um, we have a website, hellnocast.com. And you can also send us an email inquiry. If you are wanting more information or you want to suggest a movie, just reach out to us on the social meds. And our email address, there's a contact form on our website, or you could just directly do it at hellnocast at gmail.com. But we really do appreciate you tuning in, especially if this was your first foray into our psychotic weirdo world. Welcome. And if it was your uh, returning time, also, thank you. But, you know, we really appreciate all your support. And the best way for you to help us out is to leave us a five-star review. Spread the word. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Yeah, um... Thank you for listening. I've been Allie. And I have been Mel. This has been You Had Me at Hell No. Thank you for listening. Bye. Love you. you Had Me at Hell No was recorded remotely at our homes in front of our pets, Roscoe and Benny. Allie and I would like to say congratulations to Tiffer on the birth of his daughter, as well as a big thank you to Lucille Petty and Bella Vanek for writing our theme song. Thank you, Bella and Lucille. 